I'm here with Runa Islam, one of the artists in the Cinema Effect Realisms. And um, Runa, I want to ask you just a few questions about your piece in the show. And I think to start off, can you um, can you help me pronounce the title and uh, <laughs> tell me you know <laughs> and tell me what it means? Okay, so I think the pronunciation is something that probably escapes me as well because I I learnt it by heart, and I think it's town, T-U-I-N, and it's a Dutch word. Um, and in fact, the kind of the birth of that title was quite long-winded because originally it was called, um, it had a project title and I was just using it as, as a way to like get the film in the lab and I called it Fassbinder's Turn because it was about this turning camera and it was kind of also citing an earlier work which had the word turn in it so that was like the stepping stone and the lab in Holland sent it back as Fassbinder's Turn which and I thought, well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and T-U-I-N in Dutch means like garden or park. And I thought that was quite um, interesting how obviously someone had watched the content of the film and made their own reading of it. And then I sent it back as Fassbinder's Town. And it came back as something like Fast Bikers. <laughs> so, like, and in the end, I just snatched like this this little like title because I never really kind of go into work with a assumption of what it's going to be named it's well since then I have but this is like a work from 10 years ago so and so and actually um, you sort of set the stage for what I want to ask next which is about Fassbinder and sort of how his uh, I guess it was actually a, a made-for-television film Martha from 1974 kind of is a a launching point for the piece that you made. So can you talk a little bit about um, your interest in that film and how you've used it in your piece? Um, actually, it was kind of a chance encounter because I watched it like one evening with some friends and um, I only knew a couple of Fassbinder films before that. Um, and it was actually more than it relating back to Fassbinder. I think since since having made it and researched more about Michael Bauhaus, the um, the DOP of Fassbinder, he's gone on to become Scorsese's kind of um, like long-term um, DP for many things like um, uh, Casino and like all the recent stuff. Um, he was actually working with Fassbinder on a lot of early projects. I think he worked on like 10 films out of the 40 like films he made in his short life. But um, the, that particular shot was so incredible that it just like knocked me for six. And I found myself like, like hijacking the remote control and saying like, I just got to watch that again. And I watched it like three or four times and I was totally spellbound by the, the actual movement of the and the kind of the way that the shot was constructed and in a way it seemed to have a really key point in Fassbinder's narrative and he had himself I think kind of up the ante on you know like Mikhail Balhas is incredibly inventive and quite pioneering techniques but he kind of up the ante by saying you know like what can we do for this, this shot it's a key scene and he said well maybe we can make like a 180 um, degree turn um, which is kind of within the conventions of cinema to use this 180 rule so we're already going back like 20 years and of course that's been kind of demolished now and we've moved on from that but um, but then Fassbender's you know asked him can you make it a three, 360 and it was you know really kind of quite I think quite um, spectacular kind of you know, orchestration of what itself was a lot of um, theatrical, like you have to be very theatrical with 
with the way you use this, this apparatus. And it's quite difficult to make something 360 because, of course, whoever is on the other side of the camera, there is no behind the scenes because you have to kind of avoid everything that's behind the camera. So the camera has to spin, everyone has to run along with the, <laughs> the, the kind of the machinery. So it's, it's almost like this. Um, I, I guess it's, I found it incredible because it was just like such, such a, a kind of carnival <laughs> setup. Um, but just out of, like, just as a point, I know that on, since I've, you know, found out about the, 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 um, the year that the film was made, um, it was kind of on the back of, like, I think on the heels of, um, the Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, which was this really, um, kind of confined, like, chamber drama and the cameras kind of only had three or four places that they, they moved around. So actually in that film, Martha, I, from what I've read, the, the camera crew were just like set loose. Oh, wow. You know, and they were allowed to go abroad and they were filmed in Rome and they filmed on location. So it was almost like a kind of, um, yeah, I think this kind of uh, exponential like learning curve. <laughs> so in a way, looking at Bauhaus and his relationship to Fassbinder, it was kind of evolution of image making and describing narratives. And that's what kind of really captured, captivated me of how um, how just like such a dynamic moment can can kind of visually and graphically and narratively expose something. And yet at the same time, I felt I didn't really want to relate to the whole film, so I just kind of took this moment out of the film. And in fact, I would say that since having first made it, I, I think the emphasis goes back on the cinematographer and the process rather than maybe the whole kind of umbrella of Fassbinder that it's lived under. It, it's interesting because I actually saw the film after I saw right. your piece. Right. <laughs> so your piece kind of primed me to, to look for this really special moment in the film when this, yeah, the cameras circle. It, it is, because I think it's when the two protagonists meet for the first yeah. time. So I was looking for this shot where the camera circled around them in you know full 360 degrees, and and because I knew to look for it, and I kind of had known how you reconstructed and deconstructed the shot, I knew how it was done. But what I'm wondering is, first of all, when you saw it for the first time, did you immediately kind of go to a technical part of your brain and begin to think, okay, how did he do this? Or was it not until you made the decision to make the piece mm -hmm. that you really figured out the logistics of it? And then the second part of the question is, um, do you think that any kind of viewer, just sort of an, any person seeing the film, um, would really kind of recognize that shot as something unique? Or do you feel it sort of blends in seamlessly unless you call attention to it? Um, well, I... I also think from the original um, uh, place, you know, like the, the kind of original context of it being, I have to remind me when it was made. 1974. Okay, so if you think it's mid-70s, it was incredibly groundbreaking. So I think at the time you probably would have been completely like, um, you know, rolled over. But um, when I saw it, it's it even, you know, like at, at that pit time, I also was just kind of like had this insatiable. <laughs> like first to watch as many films as possible and it really knocked me um, in in kind of it just as you said like does it send you to some kind of part of your brain where you start to unpick it and I think it it didn't actually sort of like um, 
like beg the question of you know how is it made, but just how inc you know like how incredible is that? And I think from from just being completely captivated by it, um, I decided that maybe it would be interesting to try to find out how it was made, and that's what sort of got me interested in the the theatrics of and or the, the illusion of cinematic process and. Previous to that, it wasn't so much like I don't think I've ever made a work um, that's entirely about kind of the, the production of the, the image itself. So it's kind of the first work where I got in interested in it. And then I also got kind of like fascinated about um, the, the, you know, in front and behind kind of um, like this, this idea of at what point is it something really um, like. Uh, um, I guess, how does it preserve its own illusion and how does it, at the same time, the most preserved illusion has the most kind of theatrical, you know, like backstage, kind of, um, yeah, like some sort of, sorry, you have to cut. Well, sort of like a, a complex ma magician's trick. You know? Exactly, yeah. So there's a lot of but the prestige is, it. yeah. 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 Well, so, so another aspect of the work is that it has three elements, and one is um, a film projection in color, mm -hmm. and then there are two projections that are black and white video. And can you talk a little bit about the decision to, to sort of break out the scene into three different screens and the choice of using video and film and black and white in color? Um, the this, the idea of the the kind of three part um, like almost um, portrayal of of that one event it came right from the beginning where I, I wanted to try and to kind of rehandle this moment and and I wanted to also like I've said in the past that it for me was like a template of learning and I know that Fassbinder himself had learned a lot from other people's films so he he, he kind of quite. Um, openly cited and and quoted and kind of ripped off, as they say, um, a lot of Hollywood films and genres and themes and uh, directors. And I sort of felt that you know he was the, probably the p perfect person to to quote from because there was no idea of authorship, you know. And again, it was um, something that he had constructed with somebody else. And I felt that this was my intention to try to, and as you, you said, both deconstruction and reconstruction, which is also another kind of pertinent remark, because it's n kind of not one or the other, you know, like in, in, when I first made it, pe a lot of people said, oh, it's very deconstructionist, and I felt that that was kind of not the accurate way to, to, um, to try to kind of um, consider the work, because it wasn't just a kind of stripping down of something and bearing... Um, the parts and the reconstruction also, I guess it's not really only a reconstruction. And anyway, th these sort of, um, I guess, impasses almost, because I didn't want it to be one or, or the other. Um, so I always knew I wouldn't just remake it and present that. So I had this other kind of like layer of, of questioning, like what is it that I could bring to it? Because of course I'm to some degree recycling a moment in cinema, which ends up being quite a kind of paradigm moment. Um, and, I, and I knew I wanted to bring something else, and that was kind of, I think, um, the, the sort of like tipping point for me where it's, it's actually kind of more an expose of something that tries to, to give you many perspectives. So it, it was almost like I, I um, gleaned this, this kind of template or, 
almost to take it as an exercise and I wanted to use it to, sh to kind of to um, portray how you can you know one construct something that has got a total illusory and you know like um, um, yeah illusory kind of um, quality and I, I wanted to then kind of provide another perspective or and then it went from one perspective to two perspectives because I was thinking of how there's two protagonists within that shot and of course there's um, the male and female position which I felt like in Fassbinder had kind of <laughs> like within like with all respect to his <laughs> like really like I don't know kind of I think he kind of over um, with eggs the, <laughs> the situation where it's this sort of classic idea of you know like male female kind of inequality and the woman is very much the the inferior kind of victim of the sadistic man and I sort of felt that it didn't have to be sort of only about this type of um, like a, yeah like a kind of balance or imbalance. So I tried to rebalance or redress that issue and I, I decided that the male and female perspective could be as kind of a duality rather than the woman is dominated by the shadow of the man or whomever and in the past I've also said that it's, you know, for me it sort of stands in for this idea of eclipsing that the way the, the film, um, in fact even though it's a totally circular movement it still is given back to you in a linear way the man eclipses the woman and then you sort of see this like incredible revolution of the two figures and then where she arrives he leaves so he almost like supplants her position and um, and I wanted it to be um, like a also a conversation between video and film and that was quite important because at the time I was just beginning to um, to work with film and I know that there was some kind of discussion about how there was no need for me to work with film, I could just work with video and it was cheaper and it had this kind of um, expediency and and I sort of felt that there was a really kind of pertinent different bet difference between film and video and the that each each medium should be used for its kind of innate quality and I felt that film is like an indelible you know ink that you write it once and I felt that to to um, to write something in film it's really like a, an incredible theater events that has to kind of be as you said like it's a conjuring trick and it's there to provide this kind of you know prestige um, and that the black and white videos that you saw I mean of course I've taken the color away so but they they stood in for um, the idea of surveillance um, and the experience exactly what kind of I, I found maybe limiting sometimes about video you see what you get straight away and there's no kind of like um, kind of hidden expectation you know you, you can almost dictate what you want and if you don't get it you can rewind and re-record re um, and also the way that just at that point new these new kind of little um, handheld cameras that were really kind of held in the palm of your hand so they were almost like prosthetic devices had just been um, like uh, like released on the market by Sony and the, the institution that I was studying at, at the time had a couple of these so I decided that you know I would try to use this mechanism as a point of view so that the kind of 
as I called it, the theatre of um, apparatus that's required by the the kind of um, 16 millimetre kit that I needed to use was somehow counterpointed with these really tiny little handheld, in, invisible, self-adjusting, self-focusing kind of objects. So the black and white, um, I ascribe that to, as I said, like the surveillance perspective. And the colour is really to do with the kind of luminous, you know, like um, richness of the film that I wanted to use. And, um, and then the three dimensions, as I said, was um, the, the two perspectives, the male, the female. And then as you kind of get this subjective positions, you also get subjective position of cinema, which is in colour, and you get subjective positions of the actors, but through their subjective positioning, they also kind of decode and, and kind of display all the theatre. So I actually found it the perfect, it was like the revolution of three cogs or something that through these three different vantage points um, you kind of had this total expose and yet it only seemed to re-enchant re or kind of like almost hook you back into the fascination because I actually find it like even though I've seen the, the film I think about a thousand times because I've set it up so many times I just find it insatiable and I almost feel like it's not a deconstruction in the period of say structuralist filmmaking where it tried to deny um, any kind of illusory seduction. So I was, you know, I like felt in, in that period you were always slapped on the face <laughs> every time you tried to fall into. If you if you fell through the screen, you kind of like were slapped and sent back. And I think with this film, it's it's kind of kind of readdressing it and rebalancing. It, it, it's sort of interesting um, that you you are answering that question that way because one of the things that I wanted to ask you um, and I think you're start you know you're actually answering it in advance of the question is um, at, do you feel I mean we, we tend to sort of think of cinema as something that you experience in the dark in a theater or perhaps you know in the intimacy of your own home and the museum is a very different kind of Place and a very different kind of public experience um, and interaction, and I just wonder, from your perspective, can cinema actually exist in a in a museum in a in a gallery space, or does it become something else? I mean, do you still consider your work cinema, or do you feel that you're getting at something cinematic in your in your work that equates with what one would experience in a theater? Um, I, I guess. Um, the, the work shit town <laughs> of garden <laughs> however you want to say it but um, it sort of does live in that that arena which was kind of almost like laid laid out through the the I guess what you kind of can caption as expanded cinema and this was where the, the cinematic plane the single channel um, like plane or or screen was like exploded and expanded in ways that you you had the license to bring multi projections into um, a non kind of theatre based um, like um, realm, and I think the, the art gallery is the perfect place for it because it's about the movement of people into you know within it's a circulation of people within kind of certain parameters and within that sort of experimental like. Um, uh, I guess it's even like a, a room for experiments 
and that's why um, some of those earlier works that I I was um, making in, in with several screens, I really found that they could ultimately only live in the they do actually only live in a place that can you know like um, almost that has a capacity for for this kind of you know like um, sorry I have to reword it but in a way it's um, as if the the exhibition space or wherever you want to put it has to have the capacity to to um, accommodate the multiple screens and the spatial kind of um, uh, lack of restrictions and actually with with the this piece I wanted um, there to be no central point um, so there wasn't a place that you could even sit down and I wanted the audience to be very much the agent of of its kind of um, like a existence that through through their mapping of the work it would actually have the the kind of re re kind of cognition like um yeah i guess like um that you would remap a narrative you know so if you fa f were fascinated with one one kind of screen then that would dominate your experience of the work, and yet at the same time, these like you know multi-layered, multi-narratives, multi kind of intertextual um, dimensions were kind of unfolding. But you you could actually position yourself as you wanted. Um, but actually, in all the um, multi-screen works I've made, I've never really um, wanted to work in a way where that that the screens are excessive. So even in that sort of idea of the expanded field of, of looking, um, each each work and each like perspective or each um, if you think of each screen as another kind of plane of looking, it's almost that it has to be integral to the to the core idea. So here it's the idea of the two subjective positions and the single objective position. In another film I've made, um, it's called Parallel and, and it's about two and the same film being. Um, being shot in two different, same script, two different locations, so it demands two two screens. We've never actually tried to make more screens just for the sake of it. And so, I guess one one final question. Um, I'm sort of curious about your take on what what I could say is one of the main themes of the overall exhibition, mm -hmm. um, or. Better said, I think it's better said one of the main questions of the whole exhibition, which is what is cinematic representation's relationship to reality? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe another way to say that would be can, can you ever get at something that's real or um, uh, can you ever sort of capture reality through the cinema? Um, can it ever be mediated through a camera? And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Um, I, I think now it's kind of got so um, complex that and I think you might have even said it yourself, but the way that cinematic reality becomes a reality of its own and then it influences another purported reality. And, and then I think it's kind of got quite blurred in, in the sense that the realism that we might think, you know, um, stands in for something which you could call documentary or cinema verite, a kind of realism that um, counters something really constructed and fake or fictional or artificial, um, they're all kind of really questioned because even a camera position is such a, you know, like it's, it's such a limit, limited field that it can't really take the realism <laughs> um, that's in front of your eyes. So I'm surprised that, you know, 
there hasn't been a kind of technology which tries to record beyond even like um, panoramic, um, what's it called, anamorphic kind of um, filming where I guess you're, you're trying to replace looking or perception itself. So cinema, I think, is still always a framed idea of fiction or reality and it's within the box or within um, the, the rectangle. And I think it's quite obvious that reality itself can't spill over these edges. And also, because of that framing, you know that there's many things that are outside that frame that could itself you know, inform the, the narrative or the story or the, the facts. Um, so I think it's like a creative struggle, really, or, or a kind of complex and creative like um, um, a kind of yeah investigation that that's why I think you're able to, to sort of continue making um, so many different types of you know like um, works there's so many like even in your show there's like an incredible like 20 different perspectives with the same question at hand in a way